0: It's stars of gold on a field of blue. You're listening to KTOO News Juno at 104.3 FM. The following is the broadcast of Mudrooms, Juno's live storytelling event. The seven personal stories you are about to hear were told at the Northern Light United Church on October 8th, 2019. The theme was acceptance. Co hosts for the evening were Melissa Griffiths and Gigi Munro. Live music was performed by Alan Cleveland. The precious gold of the hills and streams.
1: The brilliant stars in the northern sky. The bigger, the deeper, they shine in high.
2: How about we get started? So our first storyteller tonight is Emily Mesh. Emily was born in Israel, grew up in Florida, moved back to Israel for a decade, and in the last three years, she has lived in Olympia, Skagway, and now Juneau. Emily hates moving, but she loves running away from her problems. (laughs) And this fact will become relevant tonight. She is also most likely the foremost expert on all things Billy Joel in Alaska. This fact will not become relevant, But that never hurt no one, because only the good die young. (laughs) Emily, please come to the stage.
3: My father is not a bad person. But he's not very good at being a person. I'm going to repeat that, because if you don't know him, it doesn't necessarily make sense. My father is not a bad person, he's just not very good at being a person. And that tends to fall on the heads of people around him and have negative consequences for them, for example, his children. Um, I'm not going to really explain the whole thing because that would take my whole time here, but uh, a small, minor example. About a year ago, I got a call from him out of the blue. He hadn't talked to me for a couple months prior to that, and he says, um, I'm at the airport, I'm moving to Argentina. (laughs) And that's not quite as much of a surprise as you might think, because he grew up in Argentina, and he has been saying, when I retire, I'm gonna move back to Argentina for a couple of years, but I think that's an unusual way to tell your child that you're retiring. (laughs) (laughs) The upshot is that at the time, I was living up in Skagway, and Skagway, Alaska is 7,450 miles away from the city of Cordova, Argentina, where he was moving. And that's the farthest I've ever lived from him, which is no small matter. I've lived 2,700 miles away from my father. I have lived 3,500 miles away from my father. I have lived 6,500 miles away from my father. But at that point... 7,450 miles was the farthest I'd ever been from him. And that felt big, it felt important, and I wanted to hold on to it. So it was with mixed emotions when a couple of weeks later I got accepted for a job in Juno, Because as I'm sure all of you are aware, Juno is only 7,380 miles <laughs> away from Cordova, Argentina. It's 70 miles less, and it doesn't seem like a lot, but it felt like a lot. <laughs> and I couldn't really describe. There's just this anxiety that it was stopping me from moving forward, but that's a dumb reason not to make a life decision. So I figured I'd have to take my matters into my own hands, and I took advantage of the road that Skagway has up into Canada. And a couple days before I was supposed to get on the ferry, I got in my car and just drove north. And I got right out of, side of town. Uh, just in front of the Customs Border Patrol building, and I got out of my car. I take out my phone, I put it in selfie mode, take a little video, and I say, uh, this is the morning of March 4th, 2019, and today I'm going to drive as far away from my father as I can. <laughs> I get back in my car and keep on driving north. I get to the actual physical border between the United States and Canada, it's about 10 miles down the road, And I get out of the car, take out my phone again, do a little video, said that's where the Welcome to Alaska sign would be if it wasn't covered in snow. Um, This is the farthest I have ever been from my father. And to say that, it felt bitter, it felt spiteful, it felt good, it felt important. So I kept on going another 40 miles up to Carcross, get out of the car, take out my phone, little video. This is Carcross, it's really beautiful. This is the farthest I have ever been from my father, I get back in the car, next stop is Whitehorse, and this is where things start to break down a little bit because, um, as I'm sure you guys are all aware, the Yukon in March is not particularly warm, Um, and my phone, I learned on that trip, does not like cold weather. So I get to Whitehorse, and I find a little park, and I take out my phone, I do a video, and, I decided to take my time. I talk a little bit about Whitehorse and the surroundings. I even say it kind of reminds me of the foothills outside of Cordova. And my phone dies in the middle of the recording. I don't realize this until later, but I'm telling you now, um, it did not record me saying, this is the farthest I've ever been from my father. It, it just it doesn't get into the video in Whitehorse, um, almost as though my phone knows something before I do. But I get back to my car. I'd been to Whitehorse before, but I'd never been farther north, so I figure one more leg, and that'll be the end of my trip. Forty miles, I get to Fox Lake, and there's a little campsite. And uh, I park my car, I trudge through about a foot of snow to get to the lake itself. I stand on the ice, it's good and thick, and I take out my phone. I put it in selfie mode, I take the video, and I start to sing. Sunshine. Sunshine and vegetables, sunshine, sunshine and vegetables, sunshine, sunshine and vegetables, they go together like peas in a pod in the sun. And that's kind of a little theme song that I've written for myself, and I follow that with about two and a half minutes of just travelogue, uh, talking about the Yukon, talking about Fox Lake, uh, talking about Skagway a little bit, and I don't mention my father, something, it doesn't feel right. Whatever was in me wasn't there anymore. Somewhere between Carcross and Fox Lake as my phone was breaking down, uh, whatever was inside of me had worked itself out and I hadn't even realized it. And then my phone dies immediately afterwards. So even if I wanna do another video and say, this is the farthest I've ever been from my father, I can't anymore, (laughs) but it's okay, because I don't really want to. So I put my phone back in my pocket, I go back up to my car through the foot of snow, and I drive back to Skagway, and a couple days later, I pack my life into my car, and day after that, I pack my car into a ferry, and I move down to Juneau, and I start my new life. And it's okay because uh, even though Juno is only 7,380 miles away from Córdova and Skagway is 7,450, I can still go on with what I need to do because Skagway is no longer the farthest I've ever been from my father.
4: Our next storyteller this evening is Mo Longworth. Uh, Mo Longworth came to Juno for a physician job in 1992, and she practiced family medicine, women's health, and energy healing. She's a writer in all genres. Her new romantic thriller, Blue Ticket, is based on true stories about Juno in the 60s and opens October 17th at McFeeder's Hall with tickets at Hearthside and The Jack. Mo.
5: When I first moved to Juneau, I was told that no one would march with me in the 4th of July parade for gay rights and start a LGBTQ contingent unless they wore brown paper bags over their heads to conceal their identity. I was told that there were hardly any gay men in Juneau because they'd been sent away in the 60s. Back when I was 13 years old, The first time I was going out with a group of boys and girls, my mother warned me, Maureen, be sure not to win at bowling. (laughs) You have to let the boys win. She went on to further warn me, you know, Maureen, the boys already are afraid of you because you're too smart so don't dare win at bowling (laughs) the fact is I am like so bad at bowling I've never won a game in my life (laughs) and I am like so unathletic I've never wanted anything in my life so by the next year I had a boyfriend (laughs) I was the head of the cheerleaders and he was captain of the football team And our teacher placed him where he corrected my papers in school. I was a straight A student and he was like a D plus student. And he quickly realized that he had a lot of control. (laughs) And he started marking things off that were really actually right answers. So that was the first year I did not get straight A's and I never told my teacher. And I never confronted my boyfriend because I knew it was so important to have a boyfriend. So what I learned, what a lot of girls especially learn, but we all learn, is how to diminish who I was and not be true to myself in order to get love and acceptance Years later, when I first kissed a woman, I was absolutely horrified that I liked it. I, I really could hardly stand it that I liked it, and I had been living with a guy for five years who really was not willing to commit to a monogamous, long-term, committed relationship after five years. <laughs> So I, later then, when I was dating Lynn, right in the beginning after we had met, we huddled around a fire in a cabin by a lake and told each other our life stories. And I admitted to her that I was bisexual. I'd never told anyone else that. And probably a lot of you have assumed I'm a lesbian. Truth is out of the bag now, I'm bisexual. And she didn't mind, she loved me anyway. I also admitted to Lynn that I had discomfort about my feelings for women. And surprisingly, she loved me anyway and she had those feelings too. So I was surprised since she was my hero. And we, it's true, now we march in the 4th of July parade, and people don't wear brown bags over their heads, do they? (laughs) And lots of people cheer us on and march with us with the LGBTQ rights. We fought for and got domestic partner benefits. We fought for and got gay marriage. But the sad truth is, we still don't have equal protection under the law in the United States or in Alaska. The sad truth is, last week, a teenage boy killed himself because he was outed online. The sad truth is, last week, a trans woman was dragged behind a pickup truck. The sad truth, in Anchorage last week, a federal court gave a homeless shelter permission, the okay, to turn a trans woman back out on the street and use donated money to discriminate on who they give shelter to. The sad truth today, our Supreme Court of the United States is started deliberating whether to infringe on all of our employee rights just to make it easier to discriminate against LGBTQ employees. Why aren't we doing anything? I've devoted my last five years to writing up the stories of the gay men that were sent away from Juneau in the 60s. Now that the play opens in two weeks, I am like scared to death that it's not good enough. You know, it's really hard to not feel like there's always that question. Am I good enough? Is it acceptable? Are you gonna accept it? Are you gonna love it? And I'm going to close with the words my father said to us at our first wedding. We got to get married twice since the first time, as my mother said, didn't mean anything. My dad said, may all the love you have for each other be reflected back to you all the days of your lives. What I wish for all of you and for all of us is that love and acceptance for all people, whoever they are, whether they're LGBTQ or allies, whatever, is reflected to them so that when they look inside themselves, they can feel love and acceptance of themselves and they can live their life fully and undiminished. Thank you.
2: Our next storyteller is Libby Bacalar. She probably needs no introduction, but got a little bit here. Libby is a mom, a lawyer, an activist, and the author of a blog called One Hot Mess. Come on up, Libby.
6: Thanks, Melissa. Um, So in March of 2014, I was up at Eagle Crest skiing with my then three-year-old son. And um Isaac is kind of a baller at sports and really fast and scary and just a good athlete. But he's three at the time. Now he's almost nine, but he was three. So I'm like, you know what? I can ski at the level of a three-year-old, certainly. <laughs> um I was wrong, spoiler alert, because <laughs> what happened was He was like, Mom, let's go try the um, terrain park. I was like, sure, the porcupine terrain park, the, like, little, you know, PVC pipe, no problem. He goes bombing down. I go bombing down after him. And, like, halfway down there, I was like, this was a bad idea. And I fell, and I twisted my knee really hard, and I tore my ACL, which I knew I'd instantly done because I was like, oh yeah, like this was just a $30,000 fight with my insurance company. I can feel it in my leg. So um, I ended up tearing my ACL and having ACL surgery a couple months later. Um, Shout out Ted Schwarting, Juno Bone & Join. Guy's a genius. Dude, that cadaver graft in my leg is for real. I'm like a serial killer now with this thing. It's, It's amazing. Um, so, but during my convalescence from this ACL injury, um, lying in bed, like hopped up on opioids with that like weird cooler. And I called Ted and I was like, this really hurts. And he was like, yeah, dude, it's ACL surgery. It hurts. And I was like, but this much? And he was like, mm, yeah. Anyway, so, you know, I'm lying there thinking like, I really need a hobby. And I was sort of in this percocet haze, and, maybe my hobby should be vodka because I really like vodka and vodka gimlets and I feel like that's a great drink and my mom drinks it and we can bond and that can just like be my hobby. And then I like read that one back to myself figuratively in my head and was like, no, you know, I I don't think that can be my hobby. So I started this blog instead and a lot of people had encouraged me to do that. Uh, over the years, and I didn't really know what it was going to be at first. And it was essentially, you know, riffing on parenting uh, before my kids were old enough to complain about being identified on my blog and, you know, fashion things and and jokey observations about this and that and the other thing. And then, um, you know, I knew I was kind of pushing the envelope at work a little bit just because, you know being an assistant AG and being kind of snarky on the internet. They're not like exactly peanut butter and jelly, but that's all right. Um, I knew I had a constitutional right to do and say what I wanted and I did great at work, so I wasn't worried about any of that. And then 2016 happened and Trump happened and I just kind of like couldn't like be quiet anymore. And this is, I mean, I'd already been not quiet, but I was like, I really needed to go like off the rails at this point. And I was ready to do it because I realized I had this congenital inability to shut up when I (laughs) wanted to say something and I really just like when something needs to be said, I'm like, no, I need to say it. Like, I need to say it. I have to say this. And I don't really care about the consequences because if it's true and it doesn't hurt anyone and it helps someone and it just is something that needs to be said, someone needs to say it. Like, that someone's going to be me, as it turned out. And I started to come to that realization about myself. And I hadn't had an opportunity to learn this about myself before because this is one of those traits, the compulsive need to just, like, say the emperor has no clothes and to, you know, I hate this phrase, speak truth to power because it sounds cheesy, but there's an element of truth to that. It's a cliche for a reason, I think, because it requires a decision. You either bystand or you say something or you're an active victimizer. Those are the three categories. there's the only options, especially in a, in a time like this. And I thought about my grandfather, who I have wrote about on my blog before, went to federal prison for union organizing on a sedition charge in um, the 1920s. And someone, I wrote about this on my blog, and a reader somehow dug up this quote that he had given to the newspaper. And I brought it up here with me because it was eerie. Well, for one thing, I brought it up here because I want to see how I'm doing on time, but also uh, because this thing he said struck really struck me, and this is what it says: It says says Alexander Kornos, one of the Chicago group, under a ten-year sentence for free speaking in wartime. I refused conditioned commutation because I believe that every act of every one of us, however insignificant, has power for good or ill, and the power of even slight actions often reaches into the future. My acceptance of compromise would have made it just that much harder for the next man, for every other man, to live up to his principles. It seems to me unthinkable that a self-respecting man would yield his own civil rights in any such disgraceful bargain. Certainly I will never help to fasten chains on my fellow men. No killing of men's bodies can kill the ideal they have stood for. It is only slavishness of spirit that can betray their souls. And I was like whoa, dude, that is epic. I wish I'd met the guy. I was negative 34 when he died. He died when my mom was three in 1948. But, you know, this piece about it seems to him unthinkable, and I'm like, yeah, like, it is unthinkable. It's, like, unthinkable to me that I wouldn't say these things or that I wouldn't leverage whatever skills I have my education privileges opportunities to work on on saving our democracy honestly um you know people have said you know when I was unconstitutionally fired by this governor by Tuckerman Babcock and those guys um and it was it's clearly illegal and people are like oh you're brave for taking on the governor blah 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 and I'm just like you know what it's Look, this is a constitutional violation. The Constitution is a document that doesn't exist unless people try to enforce it. And if I'm a constitutional lawyer who's been unconstitutionally fired, then if I don't go to the ACLU and have them bring this case for me, who's going to? So, And that's another thing I've come to accept about what I'm willing to do to put myself out there to make sure that there is a result achieved on some of these issues for a lot more people than just myself. It's like I've accepted that I have sort of that mission uh, now and um, that came as a result of my falling on ptarmigan um, or or porcupine rather. Um, And so really like the whole constitutional crisis is not my son's fault. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, if it weren't for him and how good of a skier he is, none of this would have happened to me. That's that's all I'm saying. So it is sort of kind of his fault. So you can blame him when everything goes down. Um, but you know, things seem like they're falling apart, and there's so much darkness. And you know, I view I accept my role is to try to be a light through some of that to try and continue to identify injustices where I see them and call them out and use the abilities I have to do that. Um, I've basically accepted that, that is my calling for now and, and I'm good with that. It's hard and draining, but the good part of it is my knee is awesome. Like I said, this is, I want this on like the Juno Bone & Joint website. Because, like, honestly, every time I see the guy anywhere, I'm like, oh, my knee is so good. Thank you. You did such a good job on my knee. <laughs> anyway, so democracy may be in peril, but my knee is in good shape.
4: Our next storyteller is Christina Love. Christina is an Alutic woman from Alaska. She was raised in Chitna, Alaska, and she is a civil and disability rights activist who is open about her lived experience of domestic violence, sexual assault, sexual assault as a minor, and the connection that the violence that she survived has between her substance abuse disorders, mel- mental health illnesses, homelessness, and incarceration. Christina wholeheartedly believes in the power of liberation through education and storytelling. Please welcome Christina.
7: Koyana, Gunasjish. I invite my grandmother and my ancestors to stand beside me as I tell you the story. What I've learned is that if you want to know a virtue or a principle, you can teach someone. You can tell them about it. You can even model it. But if you really, really want someone to know, you have to give them the experience of it. This is my experience of radical acceptance. This is my experience of love. This is also my story of healing. Betty Ruth McAllister was born in Arkansas, Little Rock, Arkansas. She was born into grave poverty. Her father was a firefighter who died in the line of duty, leaving her mother to care for her and her eight siblings. She used to tell me stories about how she made her clothes out of potato bags or how the food that she ate was from her her mother's garden. Betty dropped out of school at the age of 14 after she got pregnant. The child was considered illegitimate because the father didn't claim it. At the age of 14, she married a much, much older man who was incredibly abusive. Betty told me that she knew that she had to leave before her husband killed her, and she packed up everything and hitchhiked after he'd backhanded her off a barstool when she was eight months pregnant. She made her way to Fairbanks, Alaska. It was there at Fairbanks that she found a job waitressing at Kentucky Fried Chicken. Coffee was 25 cents a cup. It was there at Kentucky Fried Chicken that she met my mother and my father. My mother at the time had just given birth to me. She was homeless living on the street. My mother is a beautiful Lutik woman from igigik My mother has developmental disabilities and autism. She had been groomed and taken from her village by my father, who was later convicted of sexually abusing his own children. Betty told me that the first time that she held me, she cried. My tiny body, I was covered from head to toe in a diaper rash. I was malnutritioned, I had stomach infections because of sour milk, and there were physical and sexual signs of abuse. It was there at Kentucky Fried Chicken that she made the decision to take my mother in and care for her and her children. This story is so important to me. It's the core of my being. I can only imagine. Betty was my age when she fled to violence, hitchhiked across the United States, working for minimum wage at Kentucky Fried Chicken, when she took my mother in and myself. The story is the core of who I am. One, I will forever and always be a defender and protector of the underdog. And two, this tells me that there is incredible evil in this world and bad, but there's also incredible good. I've always known Betty as grandmother. My grandma was a hard, hardworking woman. She often worked two jobs to make sure that I had everything. Growing up, I always had new school clothes and beautiful prom, prom dresses. She worked very, very hard. We had a, um, we built our own home in Chitna. We hauled wood and we, chop, we chopped wood and we hauled water, what we were never without. Her hands were riddled with arthritis, but she braided my hair every day. I was really young when I abandoned my authentic self for what the world thought. I spent many, many years searching for myself. As an adult, I spent many years homeless, living on the streets. During that time when I was separated from my family, I can't tell you how many times I've been physically assaulted. I don't know how many times I've been sexually assaulted. I can't tell you how many times the world told me that I deserved to die and I agreed with them. I don't know how many times I've tried to commit suicide. I finally went home to detox after I found out that my grandmother had a tumor growing in her mouth. The deal was that if I went to treatment one last time, then she would seek medical attention for the tumor. It was there in detox that I met Paul Finch. He was the physician's assistant. He was the first person who ever told me that I had a disease. He told me that I didn't have to die that way, and that he believed that I wasn't a bad person. He believed that I had gone through some horrible trauma. I remember the last dinner that I had with my grandmother. We were in our handmade home. It was warm by the fire that she had made herself. It was Christmas, and she made macaroni and cheese. The Simpsons were playing, I was warm. I was safe. I couldn't believe that I was back in the home that I tried to escape. I never thought that I would live long enough to be there again. After dinner, my grandmother asked me why I waited so long to come home. I told her that I was embarrassed, that I was ashamed, that she'd tried to give me the whole world, and I'd wasted it. She held my face with her beautiful hands. And she looked me in the eye and she told me that there's nothing that I could do or say to ever not make her love me. She said that she loved me no matter what. In that moment, I knew that she meant it. I knew that she loved me as much as she did when I was dying in those flop house floors as when I was a baby and she held me. In that moment, I was fully seen. I was fully accepted. I was loved. Betty did not survive, but I did. And today I live fully. I'm not afraid because I was born for this.
1: I can see a hand cut in every
0: living thing, and I'm amazed. You're listening to Mudrooms, Juno's live storytelling event on KTOO News Juno at 104.3 FM. These stories were told on October 8th, 2019. The theme was acceptance. Do you have a story you'd like to share? Look up the dates and themes for our upcoming shows on Facebook or at mudrups.org.
1: the universe
4: And then I see you. Our next storyteller is Scott Ranger. Scott Ranger found his way to Juno via his firstborn daughter. She got to Alaska first, and it captured her heart. He followed her, and now both his daughters live here, and his two grandkids are Bartlett babies. Scott just finished his 11th season with Gastineau Guiding, showing thousands of cruise ship passengers the magic of Juno. Please welcome Scott.
8: This is the uh, sublime to the ridiculous. Considering what we've just heard, this is quite different. Some things in life you just have to accept. And this came painfully true in March. I live in a condominium and we put in some really nice permanent lockable mailboxes. And so I decided to change my address from a PO box to the actual street address. I hadn't moved. But still, you have to accept all of those laws that the state of Alaska has on you. And in 30 days, you've got to change your address with them. And this year, my driver's license was up for renewal. So I thought I'd kill two birds with one stone and get my real ID. I go online, find the page, and it's kind of like a Chinese restaurant. You pick one from column A and one from column B and one from column C. And column A is, who are you? And you look at the documents that they will accept. Your current driver's license is not one of them. So you got to go find out what's there. Well, I happen to have both a passport book and a passport card, because I find a card easier when I'm driving out of here. But that counts as only one, even though it's two. And another thing is your birth certificate. Well, I happen to have several copies of my birth certificate, but if you have one of those, you think it's got to have the scrunch on it. If there's no scrunch and you can't feel it, it's not acceptable. So look at those. I've got two things. I had three in my little folder that I was putting together just to try and make sure that I had one more of everything I needed. So check that off. Who am I? Number two, what is your social security number? I go, yes. I'm one of the rare people who has their original social security card. I got it when I was 16, and I still have it. Yes, put that in the folder. Well, you needed two things, so I go around and I find a pay stub, and yep, that's got it on it, and I don't want everybody to know how little I get paid, so I whited out all the stuff on the money, and I slipped that in there. And I wanted one more thing, so I I found a bank statement that had the social security number on it, but that was kind of hard to find because they now only show the last four digits, and that doesn't count. It's not acceptable. But I found that, slipped it in, check off number two. Number three, where do you live? This was a problem. Now, I haven't moved in 11 years, but I moved because I have a PO box that's no longer there, and everything had the P.O. box on it. How do you prove where you live? And I found out that you could take utility bills. Well, luckily, I changed the address on a couple of them, but who pays bills anymore? I don't get any bills in the mail anymore. I don't get that much mail, period. So I go online and find some things and download it and print it out looking for my social security number and my address and my name, but now I'm really worried about the address. Well, I find a whole bunch of things with my actual street address and I slip them in the folder and I'm confident. Out to Sherwood Lane, (laughs) pull your number. And I learned a long time ago, never go on the first or second of the month, and never go at noon. So I was there, had a suitable 9.27 a.m., and there were four people ahead of me, pulled the number out, but it still took like 40 people who were in front of me to get there. So I'm sitting there, accepting the long wait. Finally, my number gets called, and I go up, and, and the woman was very helpful and goes through all of these things. And we look at my name and yes, that worked. Check that off. Yes, I got accepted as for who I am. Social Security. I am so proud to have that original Social Security card. Unacceptable. Because it was laminated. (laughs) Nowhere on the website does it say that. Now, it does say on the website that if you have one of those metal ones, they're not acceptable. But unacceptable. I couldn't believe it. Unacceptable. And there it is, the original one I got when I was 16. I thought it was pretty cool. Nope, no good. So I had to pull out the other two things, but luckily I found two that had the actual full digits on that. And she says, okay, done. Check that one off. Yes. Address. Hmm. This was hard to accept. Because I live on Glacier Highway. H-I-G-H-W-A-Y is totally different than H-W-Y. <laughs> Unacceptable. None of the things in my folder that had my address on it all agreed. Not only that, I live in a condominium and we're in number 11, but each condominium has its own street address and we're the only ones that talk about number 11 except that AELNP has us as number 11 and that was one of my thingies and they had to be exactly the same. Oh no. So I have to go home and I go searching around And luckily, I happened to think maybe the Juno Empire has something, but they are so far behind on their electronics that I couldn't find anything. But I call them on the phone, that old-fashioned thing, and a woman really helped and says, yes, I can send you a bill. What's the address? (laughs) Yes! And she emails it over, and I print it out, and I run right back out to Sherwood Lane. Yes! But... I don't want the number 11 on there because it's not the address. It's one of those weird things that's just unique. But the two things that I had had number 11. Then the woman that was helping me had to be called away for something I don't know, and I moved one notch over. Oh, no, I'm going to go through all of this again. Well, it happened to be a friend of mine, and she realized what was going on. I said, oh, I can take care of this. He says, I don't want the number 11 on there because it's really not my address. It's just a weird thing we as condominiums have for our numbers. It's not on anything. It's not on my mortgage or anything. And she says, oh, here's how we can work the system. You can actually have two addresses, the official address and the one you want on your license. Duh. And I felt, hallelujah, so my license doesn't say number 11. So I got my little dig at the state in a weird way and I walked out happy because I could accept that I now have a real ID. So remember this is October and if you want to leave Juneau next October 1st, make sure there is a star on your license.
2: Our next storyteller is Anne Robinson. Anne is a Juno girl who fell in love with McCarthy. That's a city in Alaska. Um, Since leaving silty creeks for the ocean again, she is figuring out life in the big city. Anne trying to remember that all rivers flow to the sea.
9: Come on up, Anne. We were uh, trying to make it to McCarthy that night, uh, my best friend Maddie and I, and we were probably about seven or eight miles from Chitna when the wheel fell off my car. Yeah. So we sort of skidded to a stop and uh, sat there for a second, and I just said, you know, there it is, because the way things had been going, it kind of felt like we were waiting for the other shoe to drop. Um, but we we hauled the tire out of the ditch and threw it in the back of the car, and before too long, this uh, big white truck comes driving up out of Chitna, and it's uh, it's two hunters, and they're hauling a trailer, and on the trailer is a boat, and, and strapped to the boat is just this dead grizzly <laughs> just splayed out there. So. Uh, my friend Maddie and I are kind of staring at the bear, and the the two guys are kind of staring at us and staring at the car. And uh, they ask if we're okay and if we need any help. Um, so we say, yeah, you know, a ride a ride back to Kenny, like back to our friends, would be great. And um, they uh, they help us load our stuff into the back. And I've been crying a little bit because. To be honest, I really wanted to get back to McCarthy, and um, we coaxed the dog into the car, and uh, he's not super stoked about being next to the bear, and he's growling a little bit. <laughs> um, but you know, we're we're making it, and we're 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 riding along, and it's really beautiful. It's kind of golden hour where we are now, and. The mountains are, there's a little bit of snow up high and it's kind of all golden light and I'm crying harder now. Um, and I ask Maddie, you know, am I crazy? Am, am, I, am I cursed? Because um, I just can't understand the way the world is turning around me. And in the five days since we've left McCarthy, my car has broken down four times. Mm-hmm. But um, but I'm not crying in the back of this truck because my car keeps dying. No, um, I'm crying because somewhere between the second breakdown and the third, the the man that I fell in love with this summer, my first love, died too, and um. I can't even make it back to the town that held us close all summer long. And and I'm thinking about those first fireweed blossoms that you left outside my walled tent at the beginning of July. And I'm thinking about when we first met. And I don't remember what we talked about, but I remember how much I liked standing next to you. And... And I remember the stories that you would tell me about your time up north and the songs that you would sing to me and how it always made me want to sing back and there was that day when I found you down by the creek and I knew you had to be waiting for me but uh you were lying there sleeping and you had your hat over your face and you looked so peaceful that I just I just watched you for a little bit because it seemed like you fit there next to that little creek. And, and soon I went and sat with you too and I woke you up because I wanted to fit there too. And so we just sort of sat and watched that rolling water. water. Um, and I remember how you told me, you know, and you can have whatever you want. We don't have to be lovers, but I'm gonna be in your life for a really long time. And I remember that last day that I got with you. It was your birthday and you drove me back up the west side and you took the road in town just to make it last a little longer. And, And I knew sitting there in that sweet silence with your dog in my lap, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that I loved you. And so, I don't know if I can ever accept this fully because there's not gonna be a time that I don't wish things were different. But, uh, you know, there has to be a way forward for me. And I can accept that we are all borrowed carbon and we all carry our share of pain and tragedy and sadness. And this is mine, but You may have left this world, but you are never gonna leave me because I carry you safe and warm and so, so, so loved in my heart. And uh, I'm gonna live a life like one of those songs that you would sing me. And it's gonna be all Alaska and frontier friends and angels in the garden and big rolling rivers. And it's gonna be something beautiful. Yeah, it's gonna be something beautiful for the both of us.
4: Our next storyteller and our final storyteller this evening is Tom Cosgrove. Tom believes in the power of stories. Stories do change hearts and minds. Please share yours. And welcome, Tom. Good
10: evening. When my sister Trish came out, I did not handle it well. I'm impulsive. My... A M- mouth engages before my mind does, and I said things that I still regret. It was ignorance. A product of my Midwestern Irish Catholic culture and purposeful avoidance. Trish and I are good now, and uh, have been for decades. But in the year after she came out, I was still learning and not quite woke. She was living in New York City working for Comedy Central. I was back east on a business trip and we decided to get together in DC for the weekend. That first evening we were cruising through the weekend section of the Washington Post when Trish exclaimed, "Oh my gosh, Suzanne Westenhofer's in town." Uh who? Suzanne Westenhofer, she's a lesbian comedian I've worked with, and she's here tonight at George Washington University in like a half an hour. Oh, we really should go. I looked at the ad. She knew I would balk at the ticket price. Tell you what, if we can get to Suzanne before the show, I know we can get in free. What do you say? We hopped in a cab and took off. We got to the theater uh, just 10 minutes before the curtain, and there was nobody standing outside. The box office had a sold-out sign. Trish didn't hesitate. Down the sidewalk, around the corner, and into the alley. The stage door was propped open to the spring evening, and there was no one standing guard. She went right in, and I followed. We didn't go more than a stride when I heard, Trish! It was Suzanne waiting in the wings, and she was thrilled to see Trish. Are you coming to the show? Ah, We didn't know about it. We couldn't get any tickets. I think I might be able to help you. There were two comp tickets left. The house lights dimmed as we descended the center aisle. The Lisner Auditorium at George Washington University holds 1,490 people, and the place was packed. Our seats were front row, center. (laughs) I don't know what I was thinking. I mean, I knew she was a lesbian comedian, but I thought that meant she was a comedian that happened to be a lesbian. In fact, she was a comedian who specialized in lesbian material. I was not ready for this. (laughs) She was funny, sure, but she left nothing to the imagination. At one point in her show, she asked all the straight guys to identify themselves. And uh, there couldn't have been more than a couple dozen guys in this entire place, and most of those weren't straight. I saw a couple hands go up, but I hunkered down I did not want to be singled out. Suzanne looked right at me. (laughs) No, 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 no. The fear in my eyes must have told her that I would be absolutely no fun, and she selected someone else to harass. By intermission, I was disoriented. I mean, I would have stayed in my seat if I didn't have to pee so bad. I saw the men's room all the way across the lobby, and I saw a line coming out the door, a line of women. I joined the back of the queue, and you know what? That line did not move at all. After a few minutes of jumping from foot to foot, I made a bold move. I cut to the front of the line. Excuse me, is anyone using the urinals? Thankfully, no one was. But I had to uh, endure pointed comments about the injustice of standing and peeing. I rejoined Trish. Uh, She was up on a balcony overlooking the lobby, and we were just standing there checking out the crowd when I said, all of these women are gay? All of them? Trish was disgusted. Are you kidding me? You are totally clueless. Yes, they're all gay, every single one of them. I mean, it didn't seem possible. Sure, some of them looked like lumberjacks, but most of them were far from stereotypical. Some look like CEOs, and others like 1950s housewives. There was every age, shape, style, and color. There was over 1,500 lesbians in one place. And that's when I knew this was big. (laughs) This was huge. This was bigger than I ever imagined and certainly ever, ever experienced. There must be lesbians everywhere. This was karma. I mean, obviously, I can be a bit dense. And so I was given an experience that lacked all subtlety. We caught up with Suzanne after the show, and she gave me grief about my deer in the headlights look. But she was generous enough to sign a a t-shirt that I had purchased, one with her uh, picture on it, and her tag phrase, nothing in my closet, but my clothes. And she added an inscription to the woman I was dating at the time. And it said, Mila, it's never too late. (laughs) I still have that t-shirt. And even after 30 some years, you can still read the inscription. And to me, I'm, I'm never getting rid of it. Because to me, it embodies the moment when I finally got it. And not just at an intellectual, conceptual level, but deeply, at a visceral level. Homosexuality might have been hidden from me as a child, ignored by me as a young adult, but now I knew it was woven deeply into the world around me. Thank you.
1: My grandpa was my man. I remember he used to tell how he lived his life off the of land and how he treated
0: him. This is KTOO News, Juno at 104.3 FM. The stories you just heard were recorded live at Mudrooms on October 8th, 2019. The theme for the evening was acceptance. Proceeds went to the Healing Hand Foundation. Special thanks to Northern Light United Church, COPA, The Rookery, and Laura Kurt for supporting the event, and to Lucid Reverie for hosting our website, mudrooms.org. Join us for our next show on Tuesday, November 12th. The theme will be Begin Again. This program is a production of the Mudroom Storyboard. Alita Buss, Melissa Griffiths, Jeff Smith, David Noon, Kristen Rankin, and Jim Fitzer. I'm Rich Moniak. Have a good night. Moving in
1: tubular flow, where the mountains are shaped in the fall by a force that no man can tame and the earth has no choice except to conform to the voice from where it first came